Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. All right, good to have you back. Podcast 421, Maximize Your Influence here. This is Kurt Mortensen as we take a dive into trust. What are you doing that's causing distrust? Why are people so distrustful? Why are you so anti-suasive? <laughs> We're going to dive into that today with our standard email, geeky, scholarly article, and a few other tidbits for today. Hope your week is going well. You're achieving your goals. You're more successful. You're getting more influence tools. And you're getting others to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. I did uh, quite a few Zoom calls this week. It was three days on. How do you lead the leader? How do you persuade without position? How do you influence without authority? Or bottom line, how do you maximize your influence? The core to that, of course, is building trust. When people trust you, influence can be very very easy. So let's dive into it. That geeky scholarly article. It comes from the Psychology and Marketing Journal, the University of London, and Bayes Business School. I think we kind of know this, but this is interesting that people choose healthier food when with outsiders for fear of being judged. People don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. Uh, news alert, the brain cannot not judge. The brain cannot not be biased. That's just how our brain's programmed. That's what protects us. That's why we have these knee-jerk reactions. So they found out in this study that people are more likely to choose a healthy food option versus unhealthy from other groups, groups they didn't know because they didn't want to be judged negatively on their choices. Isn't that interesting? People are more concerned about people they don't know judging them than almost sometimes people they do know. Maybe because the people they do know already know them, already know that they're eating the Snickers and the Twinkies when nobody is watching. <laughs> Which reminds me, I do have a family member, I'm not going to name names, that, you know, eat healthy at home, good meal, and oh, got to go to the hardware store. <laughs> and on the way to the hardware store was a couple of fast food restaurants. I will just leave it at that. So this study found that the presence of individuals from different friendship and social groups had a huge role in influencing consumers' food choices. It comes back to that negative judgment from outsiders. Again, I don't know why sometimes it's the outsider that causes people to do things faster, quicker than people they know. So part of the study, they had a choice between healthy and unhealthy food choices. One group, it was M&Ms and or raisins. And when they knew the person in the room, it was like a fellow student from the university, 12% selected the healthier raisins. But when they were unknown from another university, a different social group, 31% reached for the raisins instead of the M&Ms. Interesting. That's almost triple. So they did some other experiments, and they found the same pattern, that people feel judged to a larger extent from out-group members, 
And they strategically use those healthy food choices to make that positive impression instead of having that negative judgment. The other study had carrots and cookies. (laughs) You know, I think I'd go for the cookies, but you know, carrots can be good as long as there's plenty of ranch dressing on those. They didn't say if they had ranch for that. So they were trying to use these studies to help people eat healthier, using that pressure to impress others that it's good for your health, making that positive first impression. I mean, we've seen this before at the table. Who's going to order dessert first? Are we going to order dessert? Are we allowed to order dessert? And I've seen that with mostly strangers at the table. I mean, they kind of know each other, but not like really, really good friends, the whole dessert thing. Good friends like, yeah, bring me three of each. (laughs) It's a little bit different. So that is the study. I mean, there's some subconscious triggers there. I know the one study we've mentioned on the show before was the chocolate and the radishes, the chocolate chip cookies, where they were testing willpower, and they came to this study fasting, and they came in this room, and it smelled of chocolate, freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, and half the students said, eat what you want. You could either have cookies or radishes. I mean, hello. What an easy choice. But half the students, they were told, oh, sorry, you're going to have to exercise some self-discipline and just eat the radishes. Then, once that was done, they were sent to the next room to play with these puzzles. They thought they were waiting for the next part of the study, but the puzzles was the study. Here's what's interesting. Follow me on this one. The puzzles were unsolvable. They just wanted to see how fast they would give up. And the radish eaters gave about two and a half times, almost three times faster than the chocolate chip cookie eaters. Why? Because they had to exercise self-discipline, resist. And we know every time you resist, your willpower battery, your self-discipline battery drains. The next time you need it, it's not as strong. So the chocolate chip cookie eaters didn't exercise any willpower. They just ate. Done. Radish eaters did. When they needed it the next time, it was a little lower. Another food study. Maybe it's dinner time. I don't know. But interesting research from the Journal of Psychology and Marketing. Now that takes us to the persuasion blunder of the week. It was a blunder or a ninja, a blinja. This goes to me, I'll say this is a lucky ninja. And this is something I've learned time and time again, but we have to be so careful with this that if you're ever presenting with a group of presenters, maybe they're all presenting their product, their services are all similar. You're at a convention, a seminar, whatever it is, listen to the speakers in front of you. <laughs> important safety tip. I know you're busy. I know you're preparing, but too many times I've seen speakers say the same joke the speaker in front of them told. Uh, never works. Actually kind of backfires. Did somebody say something similar to you? That something that contradicts you? Something negative about you? What is the topic of the speaker before you? I always try to find out that information because it matters. Here's the lucky ninja, I guess we'll call it, because, and I was up, motivational, influence inspirational type thing, kind of a big rah-rah type thing. This is in Chicago. And it was for a big travel company. So there were hotels there, people from all over the city. Let's get more people to come. And I sat down just to listen to the speaker, get ready to go. I was going to review my notes a little bit. And the topic was child prostitution in Chicago. Now, important topic, something needed to take care of. I had no idea how bad it was. But just the mood, the demeanor in the room... I mean, get an important topic, but that's not something you're rah-rahing, motivational, exciting, shouting things out. It's not. Luckily, I was able to hear it because if I didn't, I would have stepped up. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Good to be here. And that would have been a disconnect 
I wouldn't have matched the energy in the room. It would have the opposite effect. So you have to read the room, feel the room. I know it's more difficult with Zoom, but it's something. To where I said, all right, everyone stand up. We're shifting gears. Give them a chance to change the mood a little bit. Change the energy. Huge. I know it takes time. At least find out from whoever's inviting who's in front of you what they're talking about. You have time to listen to them. You don't want to repeat jokes. You want to hear what they're saying about you, your product, service, idea, whatever it is. So I guess it started as a blunder because I almost wasn't there. And it turned into a ninja, the lucky ninja, we'll call it. The lucky ninja of the week. So that bounces us to the listener email. Oh, boy. This is from Hank from San Antonio. And hey, send me an email, Kurt, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We use it on the podcast. You get the free gold membership to InfluenceUniversity.com. That's our advanced training. Check it out. Of course, MaximizeYourInfluence.com is a space for everything from product, service, ideas, specials, everything you need to know about us. Plus... Take your free Persuasion IQ assessment and get the free book, the new edition of Maximum Influence. Just pick up a little shipping and handling. All right, housekeeping out of the way. Hank San Antonio, that's in Texas. Kurt, you mentioned a few podcasts ago that optimism is part of charisma. Optimistic people are more influential. But then you mentioned some people are too optimistic that you want to hit them. I did mention that. It says, how do we cross the line? I want to be optimistic, but I don't want to get hit. <laughs> Thanks for your hard work and the podcast. All right, Hank. All right, I don't think anybody wants to get hit, but let's back up with optimism. It's an outlook. And we know that optimistic people live longer. They have better networks, relationships, social support. They're more motivated, more persistent, have higher performance, and more confident. Versus pessimistic people tend to give up twice as fast as optimistic people. The studies are out there. I think I've mentioned Dr. Martin Seligman before. I love his work on learned optimism. It's something you can learn. Again, it's something we need that outlook. We expect to get there. It's an attitude. Attitude comes from expectations. Do we expect to crash and burn? Do we expect to get there? Do we expect to be successful? Do we expect to be a failure? All that matters. So Hank, the key here is that you have the attitude, the persistence, the motivation, the optimism, you're going to get there, whatever your goal is. You know that there could be bumps in the road. You know it might take longer than you expect. You know you might hit a brick wall, whatever it is. But you know you can handle that. All right, we'll fix the car. Well, we won't hit the next brick wall. We'll learn from that. We're still going to get there. Instead of the optimism that everything's perfect, you're watching the movie The Secret, which those are some great things in it, but a lot of people watching the movie The Secret sit on the couch thinking, I'm wealthy and I'm wealthy and just waiting for the checks to come in the mailbox without doing anything that could be a little delusional, and that's not the optimism we're looking for. We like that optimism, but we need to have an action plan to that optimism. Plus, we need to know that it might not work perfectly. We might have to take a different route. We might hit a brick wall, like I mentioned. That's the key. So a big piece here, when you look at optimistic people, charismatic people, they choose to be optimistic. It's a choice. It's like attitude comes to your expectations. You expect to be cut off. You're probably going to be cut off, and it's going to ruin your whole day. Versus expecting to have a good day. Part of that too is building on current successes and maybe even past victories. Who you associate with? Associate with more positive people, right? That pull you up, not the negatives that suck the life out of you, even if you don't talk to them. There's plenty of people like that. So when you talk to yourself, keep it positive. When you talk to others, try to keep it positive to a degree and learn to turn those negative moods, those bad days into positive ones. Learn that someone cuts you off, you can quickly switch it up and stay in that positive mood. I would add to that too is, 
you know, get healthy, eat right, exercise. That all matters in having the right attitude and being optimistic. So I hope you caught that. What I talked about a little earlier, pessimistic people give up twice as fast as optimistic people. I know life beats us up. Things happen. Things are happening in the world. It gets crazy. There are mean people around us. Get it. But we already have enough negativity in our life, pessimistic people. Be that source of light. Be that optimistic person. Be the one that brings people up instead of the one that pushes people down. I know, easier said than done. But you want to be that person that gives people hope, that vision, that optimism. That's the person they want to follow. That's the person they want to be persuaded by. Which brings us to the topic of the day, the reasons. Let's talk about the seven reasons people don't trust you. What are you doing that's destroying the trust? Causing that anti-suasion, causing that skepticism, causing people to run. I mentioned it earlier, when people trust you, influence is easy. That's what I consider the glue to whole influence process. So let's talk about it. Trust is an all-time low. That's no secret. Dropped six points in the last five years. In the past, it's like, hey, I trust you. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Give me a reason not to trust you. Now it's like, I don't trust you. Give me a reason to trust you. So even though you're good, trustworthy, maximize your influence people, you deserve people's trust, doesn't mean people are going to trust you. You have to earn it. That's just how it is. It could be based on the clothes you're wearing, your surroundings, the car you drive, your occupation. But let's go with some of the other subtle ones that we can fix right now and take a look at some of the things that you're doing that can cause distrust. So the seven reasons people don't trust you. First one let's talk about is body language. Yeah. See, another time I train public speakers, people that do persuasive presentations, they keep making fists or their body language is closed off, or they're folding their arms. We know that one. Or they do the fig leaf. Think about it. Fig leaf, where they're kind of putting a berry up or cover themselves up. Yeah, you've got to watch that. So when you approach somebody, approach with confidence. Make the eye contact. Now, not 100% of the time, because that means you're falling in love or really angry, but make good eye contact. Square up your shoulders. Make sure your feet are pointing to them. Open gestures. Don't make fists. Don't put barriers between you and them. That's the key to body language. Even in a presentation, get away from the podium, get in front of the audience. When you sit across from somebody, maybe even a slight angle, even standing at a slight angle, especially male to male, a little less confrontation, a little less open. That's, of course, we call it a subconscious trigger. But you don't know. You're so concerned about what to say next. You don't think about your body language. Are you recording it? Hey, I would record all your presentations. What are you doing that's distracting from your message and hurting your trust? So think about it. Are you making fists or your feet pointing toward them? Are your shoulders squared up? Do you need to be at a slight angle when it's someone you're meeting for the first time? Even spatial relationships. Are you that close talker? Are you too close to them? Are you violating their space? Those are all things to think about that could hurt that feeling, that subconscious trigger, Something's up. I don't like this person. The second one, one of our favorite words for the show is the vomit. Yeah. Vomit, show up and throw up, data dump, whatever you want to call it. The 17 reasons they should do it. It's not persuasive. 
Why? Because it's all logic. Logic is not persuasive. It's the emotion that moves people. Sure, you need a little logic where that emotion fades away. But when you data dump, A, it's too much logic. B, you're giving them too much information. And C, with all that information, you're probably giving them an objection, something to think about, something they're concerned about. And now, of course, they're going to think about it. And I want to make a decision right now. We're emotional creatures. In fact, when that part of the brain is damaged, where you can't feel the emotion, those people can't make decisions. They need that emotional element. It has to feel right. And of course, the numbers have to add up, but it has to feel right. And when you're just data dumping, doing the logic, you're missing that emotional element, and you're probably giving them concerns and objections. Number three, kind of interesting. That's too good to be true. (laughs) So even though it is true, you're telling the truth, you have this great offer, if it's too good to be true... In their mind, it's not true, even though it is true. Did you catch that? I've worked with companies before. We had to reduce their offer, simplify a little bit because there was just too much. It was too good. Something's up, right? Too good to be true. That can definitely be a challenge. But sometimes if we only revealed one side, how we're perfect and our competitors just evil and not very good, (laughs) their product doesn't work, you want to share both sides. Maybe you want to reveal a little weakness about your product. Just a minor thing that you could turn to a strength. Maybe it's on back order. Maybe your team was over budget. Maybe you are top of the line, the most expensive. Reveal something. Let them know why. Because think about this. You want them to make up something that's wrong with your product service idea yourself? Or do you want to give them a minor one and turn it into a strength? Just saying. Just putting it out there. Number four, big complaints. One size fits all. What does that mean? They feel like you're coming in, persuading them that you know all about them. And maybe you do, but they don't want to feel that way. Even if you knew with 100% accuracy exactly what they needed to do, you still had to listen to them, their point of view, or they're going to feel that you're just telling them this is what you need without truly understanding their wants and their needs. Just like if you hired a lawyer, like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this and this and this. You're like, you haven't even heard my side. You don't even know what's going on. And we're going to do this and this, right? The lawyer could be correct, but you need to be listened to. Number five, don't point fingers on this one, being arrogant. Oh, that's other people, is it? I've seen a lot of people think that they're confident, but they come across as arrogant. Blaming others, it's never your fault. Demeaning the competition, gossiping. Hey, do they feel like you're there to serve them or it's all about you? So careful of the blame, demeaning competition, your phrases. They need to sense that you're there for them to serve them. When they sense it's all about you and what you need to do and what you need to take care of, that you're the most important person, that's when you cross the line. Happens all the time. You might be in denial, but that can be a big one for you. Number six. Lack of competence. (laughs) You could be the smartest person in the room. You could be the subject matter expert, but the way you walk in the room, the way you do your presentations, having too many PowerPoint, maybe you just showed up, you didn't do your research, you couldn't answer their questions. And most of the time here, you are the expert. You're just not coming across that way. You need to teach them something new in the first four minutes. You need to make sure your presentation's practiced and polished. You need to walk in the room more confident, like we've talked about, that you've done your research, you know about them, work on your presentation skills so they can accept you as the expert. And final one, (laughs) this is for other people, not people who listen to podcasts, but other people, just so you know, number seven, since I mentioned we're doing seven, 
they didn't like you. <laughs> Your personalities clashed. Maybe you had different communication styles. You came across as being rude or disrespectful. Maybe your people skills stink. Maybe you didn't persuade them how they want to be persuaded. So, woo, work on those people skills. Learn how to connect. Learn how to build rapport. Makes a huge difference in your success as an influencer. So those are the seven. We'll post all the stuff we talked about today at MaximizeYourInfluence.com under this podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can find us under Maximize Your Influence on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Tell your family, friends, and enemies. We're still holding on to the special, your presentation IQ. Not your persuasion IQ, presentation IQ. Go to presentationiq.com, take the 10-question assessment, see where you rank. And it's going to show you some areas that you're doing pretty good at, great at, some you need to work on, and that's going to unlock... The perfect persuasive presentation, step-by-step, templates, the whole bit. We're going to walk you through not only to become a better presenter, but a better persuader. You have to combine those worlds because anybody can present, but is it persuasive? That is the key. So we have the templates. It's all set up. I've monitored over 10,000 presentations. I've coached people on how to become more influential. There's a formula to follow. So presentationiq.com, take the 10-question assessment. That'll unlock the training And you'll be able to convince others, get the yes with charisma. So thanks for being here. Take one of those areas of trust that you need to work on. Fine tune it. Use that tool. Become a better negotiator, a better influencer, and go out and persuade with power. 